the adjuster goes and they find out, well, the owner isn't actually living here. So the risk has changed. If a loss occurs, though, and if the tenant caused it, it's a misrepresentation of the property. So the claim could get denied. Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. This is your host, Garrett Wong of the Investing to Win podcast. I just finished a really interesting episode about commercial insurance with Sandy Elders, who's uh, an insurance account executive here in Winnipeg. We dive into specifics for rental properties, uh, cover some vacancy clauses, really informative. So grab a notebook and a pen. You're going to enjoy this one. Good afternoon, investors. My name is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing Win podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Sandy Elders to my studio. She is a commercial account executive with the insurance industry. Sandy, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's start out uh, with a little bit of background. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got here? Okay. I started off in uh, pet insurance, actually, about 20 years ago. And then I graduated to commercial insurance about two years after that. And I have worked at a couple of the very large brokerages here in Winnipeg. And then recently, probably about a year ago, I settled at uh, Kilgore Bell Insurance. And with that, I've always worked with owners of the brokerages and discovered that early on, my niche was leaning towards insuring real estate properties, uh, which uh, includes mostly the residential side of things. And I've made it my goal to learn as much as I can about commercial rentals. And I learned that I have a clear understanding of both what the insured needs and should have and what the insurance companies are looking for from them. Oh, okay. Let me, I'm going to back up a little bit because I known you for quite some time now. Okay. Uh, you've taken care of us for many, many years. Uh, and you said pet insurance. Right. Let, tell me about that. That's right. interesting. Pet insurance. Yeah, that, that's true. There's only one company um, that I know of that um, I actually worked for. And um, what they do is they um, you, people can buy pet insurance to cover them. And it works as similar to uh, like house and commercial insurance that uh, you buy insurance to to help you pay for uh, going to the vet and, you know, paying for same as health insurance or condition, health insurance conditions. So you, you, you're paying into the plan and then uh, you have a condition like a heart condition and prescriptions oh, and things okay. like that. Yeah. Okay. So similar idea, right? Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So pet insurance. Yeah. Okay. So like things like pre-existing conditions. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. You know, wow. Right. Okay. Or surgeries or things like that. So yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's probably a pretty big industry. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I just uh, 
<laughs> you know, again, it's my podcast. I can ask what I want. So, <laughs> For sure. um, let, let's um, get back into uh, your role. Like, so commercial insurance account manager, um, what exactly is commercial insurance? Okay. So that is anything to do with like buildings, like it's, um, you know, on the commercial side, like buildings, um, commercial um, businesses, um, what their, what their operations are, you know, their, you know, rents, their uh, income, what, what they're doing, their liability, things like that. So basically if I'm trying to understand this and I'm, I'm trying to kind of summarize this for our listeners as mm-hmm. well, because insurance is, I think a very uh, needed topic for education, but a typical policy that's not commercial would be something like a homeowner's policy. Correct. So Correct. I own a house. I need insurance. I'm not renting it. It's just myself, my family, maybe my valuables, maybe exactly, your got, I don't know what it's yeah. a car or something. So I right. need some kind of rider on that. Is that kind of right? Well, we have, you know, obviously in Manitoba, we have Manitoba uh, public insurance, but um, for your home, you've got your contents, right? Um, your uh, liability, of course, everyone has to have liability. But on a commercial side, you've got equipment right? And you've got stock. So it's different, right? And you have business income and you've got profits, right? right. So there's two different things in, in that aspect, right? Okay. So, and you've got your building if you own it, right? or you have improvements, tenant improvements, if you're leasing it. Okay. Right? Okay. So, so, so yeah. that would cover commercial and then from commercial insurance, obviously I could have mm-hmm. a hair salon business, Right. I could have income that I need insured. And then now we're specifically bringing you on to talk about real estate right. investment. Right. I mean, would you say as a percentage, do you mainly work on active businesses or is it real estate? Like what's, what would you say your specialty is? My, I would say my specialty, like I like to call it a niche, is uh, the real estate uh, realty, like whether it's apartment buildings or uh, rented dwellings. Um, that uh, I I like to think that that's kind of my niche. Okay, well let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit. How would a an insurance policy differ from a typical homeowner's policy? And then all of a sudden, I mean the house is the same. Mm-hmm. It's just somebody else is living there. I mean I would I've heard this from clients. Can't I just use my existing homeowner's policy? Right. Tell me about that. Okay. Um, well, the difference is it, it's it, it's an investment, right? The the owner is the investor. Right. So they're not actually living in the house. Right. So and they have rental income. So two different things. So uh, the insurance company views it as two different as as a different type of uh, home. It's not a home to them. It's an investment. So the owner isn't living there and um, you've got rental income. Okay. Okay. So. From a liability point of view, I, I mean, from the insurance. So is there any, if I just stay with my homeowner's policy, right. I don't tell the insurance company and I just rent it out to a tenant. I mean, I would say, so what, right? I've heard that from a lot of people. What's the difference? I'm getting a pretty good rate. Why would I want to tell them that I have a tenant in place and have my insurance increase? Sorry. So you would say you're saying that it's okay. So it's a different occupancy, right? Well, so, I'm saying I hear this a lot, right? Okay. So I think there's some investors out there who don't know that they should change. Okay. And I'm kind of wondering, are there any consequences to that just because there's a tenant there instead of an owner? Okay. So if, if a loss occurs though, and the, um, if the tenant caused it, mm-hmm. right. 
the that it's a misrepresentation of the property, right? right? right. So the claim could get denied because it, you know, the the adjuster goes and they find out, well, the owner isn't actually living here, so the risk has changed. Ah, right? okay. So that that affects it quite a bit, right? Okay, so now we're getting to these buzzwords. This is the scary part, right? And what I, why I wanted to bring you on, because we talk about things like risk. We talk about things like misrepresentation, right? Right. And yes, a tenant living in a property is going to have a little bit more risk right. than a homeowner. And mm-hmm. therefore, that's why that policy might be more expensive because they're covering things like vandalism and right. different situations. Yeah. Right. And historically, a tenant doesn't take the same care of a property as an owner does. Right. Right. So, you know, they don't care if the water was left running or, you know, whether the door was locked when they went out or, you know, things like that. I mean, historically, we see that. Right. So, you know, the owner is making sure that, you know, all the windows are shut and that, you know, right. things like that. Whereas a tenant, they don't necessarily care like that. Right. And I, I, you know, you said the word history. I think it's important to, you know, really delineate that because I think insurance in general follows history, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a homeowner, yeah, they're not going to have that risk because they're taking care of the house. Yeah, no, that's great. So when we talk about appropriate insurance coverage, then you're saying that is very crucial for a real estate investor. Right. Okay. So for those who are maybe less familiar, um, can you explain maybe the different types? I, I mean, I've heard these terms, replacement costs, coinsurance. Honestly, I think the average person kind of just gets lost in the noise. Can you maybe tell us, start with the difference between replacement and co- coinsurance? Okay. Well, they're not really different. Like, they're not really different because replacement costs, like most in most cases, um, policies are replacement costs. But um, it means that the replacement cost, what the actual definition is that the policy is going to, the insurance company is going to replace the damaged property with similar new property. But that's what replacement cost means. Okay. Right. Within the limit that you've insured it for. Okay. Right. So if your house is insured for 500,000, whatever property has been lost or damaged is going to be replaced within that limit. Okay? Okay. So that's what replacement cost means. But what coinsurance means like we all we all see that on our policy documents or most people do if if you're looking at it. It's always there's a percentage, right? We see in mo- in most cases that's 90%, sometimes it's 80%. Right. And what that means is that um insurance companies want a client to take a share of a loss, right? So, because they don't want to be a hundred percent of that, right? So, what that means is, and I'll try to break that down a little. Mean what it means is that they want the property to be insured for at least ninety percent of, say, that not five hundred thousand. Okay. Okay. So that of that uh, replacement cost of that five hundred thousand. So what I sometimes hear is the person says to me, if they're trying to save a buck, right? Right. they go, well, why don't I just insure it for the 90% of that 500,000, right? Right. Because they're trying to save, instead of saying, well, I don't want to insure it for 500,000 because you're telling me that's what the 
replacement cost of it is. Why don't I just share it for 90% of that? And I go, well, that's not what the insurance company wants you to insure it for. Because key thing is that if a claim happens 11 months into that term, you're no longer insured for 90% of that. Because as we all know, is that as time goes on, replacement costs of property now is increasing. Right. Right. Okay. So if it happened 10 months or 11 months into the term, that replacement cost is not 500000 anymore. It might be 540 mm-hmm. So you're no longer at 90%. Okay. You might be at 80%. And what are the consequences then? Okay. So this is where a coinsurance penalty will come into play okay. at the time of the loss. And so what happens is the insurance company will apply a coinsurance penalty. And I can give you an example of that. If you insured your property for, they do a penalty clause, okay? okay. So if you insured your property, and I, I did one here, of 447000 is what you insured it for. Okay. You chose to insure it for 447000 okay. But you should have insured it for 545000 because okay. we told you you should have insured it for 545000 they take that 447, they divide it by what it should have been insured for at 545, and that comes out to 82%. Okay. You've only insured it for 82%. Right. So what and happens they, then? Okay. So say there was a loss. Okay. And in most cases, there's only a partial loss. Very rarely. Sure. Yeah. Right? Never. Yeah. Most properties are never right. going to burn right, right down to the ground. So you have a, a kitchen fire, say. Okay. God forbid. And it was $80,000. So they take that 447 is what you insured it for. Right. You divide it by the, what you should have insured it for at the 545. And that's 82%. Okay. You multiply that times the $80,000 of what losses happen. Ah, okay. See where you're going. Okay. That comes out to 65615 Right. So if I can summarize it for the listeners. You under you intentionally underinsure your property because properties are uh, estimated out per dollar value per square foot right. per whatever, right? right. You got a thousand square foot property at whatever X dollars. Right. So now you think you're you are saving, but now that eighty thousand dollar kitchen is coming in and they're only paying you eighty percent or whatever your yeah. calculation was. Right. So they're only going to end up with what, sixty thousand right. to try 65, to replace. Yeah. So the insurance company is only going to pay sixty five thousand dollars of that. So then so the rest gonna, has to come out of your pocket. Right. Okay. You're going to have to pay the rest of that claim. And that's like twenty thousand dollars just right. in this very Plus small your example. Deductible. Plus deductible. Okay. 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 So that's where the coinsurance penalty comes into play. Because they are going to calculate. Normally, they won't calculate that. That doesn't come into play. Coinsurance penalty does not come into play unless you've underinsured your property. Okay. Okay. So I guess, I mean, we're, I was going to ask you this later in the podcast, but how important is it then to review every year on renewal? Right. a lot of us just, we see it. We right. see the, the clause that says, yeah, if there's any any issues, please contact me. But I mean, 
you miss right. something and building values of sky or sorry, construction costs have skyrocketed like yes. they have here in the last yes. few years. You're definitely right. not within right. 90% anymore. Right. And that's why in the last few years, insurance companies are automatically increasing your building values year to year. Okay. Right. It, like everyone sees that like on your homeowners, on commercial properties, they're automatically increasing buildings. They never used to do that, but they are now. Like you'll see your buildings go up at minimum 5% every okay. year on a, on a renewal. Okay. So I, I think I may be missing something here. I mean, I've been in this industry a long time. I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but couldn't a long time ago, you could re, you could insure something for replacement cost, mm -hmm. or you could just insure it for the market value. Is there not an option to do that? So if I have a, a single family home in a decent neighborhood worth $300,000, then I'm insuring it for three hundred, and if it you know burns down to the ground, I get a check for three hundred thousand. Or it might cost five hundred and fifty to rebuild that building, and then replacement cost. I'm now insuring it for five fifty. Is that am I off base there? I I don't know whether that's um, usually what happens if you decide that you don't want to rebuild a house. The insurance companies usually calculate an actual cash value for your home. That's a little bit different oh, than the market okay. value. Yeah. So ACV or actual cash yes. value. Now, can you just insure something for actual cash value? You, Maybe that's what I'm thinking you of. Might be, yeah, you might be thinking of actual cash value. If you just, like like there are some people that decide, you know what, I've still got my land because you, you obviously still have your land if your house totally, you know, burns to the ground. Um they will settle for an actual cash value because that actual cash value is calculated like, you know, because they take in the age of the house and, and all that kind of thing. But um, they won't give you a check for what you insured it for. Like, obviously. Right? No, so, um, but they will calculate, you know, obviously there's a discussion of. of but that's packing. after the fact. Can I not go to you and say, Hey, I've got a property in a C-class neighborhood. I know that I can sell it for one fifty. Can I just insure it for 150 on ACV? Is mm -hmm. that a thing or is it, does it have to be replacement cost? It doesn't have to be replacement cost. No. I mean, it's certainly a discussion that can be had. Right. 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 But there's usually some parameters there though, because we, we do calculations of what a house is, is worth, right? Replacement cost value, or most brokers do. I mean, so we have, you know, an insurance program that we use, right, to, to calculate what a house is, is worth in insurance uh, system. But and that's based on, you know, the square footage and the year built and, and all that kind of thing. But then we if you want to do an actual cash value, then there's a calculation used, right, to come up with that actual cash value. Um, different brokers use different systems. Right. Okay. So it's usually around 65% of the replacement cost. So that's how an actual cash value is come up with. And that's usually acceptable to insurance companies. So, and sometimes there's other factors that come into play, like what's the mortgage on it and things like that, right? So that's uh, certainly a decision of the client as well. Like, you know, you don't want to go too far below what that is, right? So, well, I mean, you know, if it, yeah, I mean, even on my $150,000 example, you have a kitchen fire for 80000 Now the, you know, how are you going to ever get that rented out exactly. without taking that out of your pocket? Right. right? So that's, that's where, the, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's um, 
speak about specific coverages for real estate investors. Okay. You know, can you talk about some, I mean, what does a, real, a rental policy, real estate policy have versus a homeowner? What should it have rather? Well, two key things that, it, that come to mind for sure that um, they should have that homeowners don't necessarily, obviously rental covers. And you'd be surprised how many, you know, prospects that I speak to is that I say, are your rents covered? And they go, rents? Right? And, yeah. and it surprises me that, you know, number one, either they don't notice that that hasn't been, or they'll say, that question's never been asked to me. And I go, okay. And they say, well, what's the benefit of that? And I go, okay. So if something should happen to your property, your tenant can't live there because there are repairs that have to be done because of a loss the rents can be claimed on on the policy and they go oh wow that's wow i didn't know that so that's key right well let's let's spell it out for the listeners okay. so you have a house fire kitchen fire mm-hmm. in january mm-hmm. happens a lot more than we'd like it to right the residents are now they can't live there they're in a hotel or maybe the lease is broken or whatever and it might take 8, 10, 12 months for the rebuild. Right. That's great. So now you're going to have a brand new unit, but the whole time you're still paying your mortgage, your insurance, your property taxes, and you have zero income coming in. That's right. And that's out of your pocket unless you have rental income insurance. Correct. So, I mean, I know this answer already, but I again, I <laughs> want it for the podcast. I mean, we're not talking about a huge cost here, are we? No. Rental income is so cheap. Like throw really, some numbers at me. $1,200 rent, like, you know. It, yeah, it would be less than, it's somewhere between 50 and $70 a year. A year, right? So listeners, uh, if you've got a $1,200, $1,500 rental in a house, yeah, it's basically going to cost you like five bucks a month right. to ensure your rental right. income. That's it's, uh, it's, it's so reasonable. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that's a big takeaway, listeners. Right. But uh, okay, so rental income insurance, you right. said that's one of the keys. What yeah. else? Sewer backup coverage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of houses, even if it's a single, have finished basements. Right. And um, sometimes these houses don't have sewer backup coverage. And uh, I've seen claims where they're finished basements and they didn't have sewer backup coverage. Yeah. And a uh, basement, 70, 80, 90 grand to rebuild, right? That's right. Yeah. And that's where the water is going to come through. That's right. I mean, and we see a lot of our clients, you know, oh, there's six inches of water. Yeah. Just shop back it up and throw a fan down there. And then two months later, they've got mold issues. That's right. Right. That's what's hidden behind the drywall. Yeah. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor Or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners 
navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital? Or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now, back to the show. I have heard that it's more difficult to insure a rented dwelling with sewer backup insurance, though, is it not? It can be. Yeah, it can be. Okay. Right? If you don't have replacement cost coverage. <laughs> okay. And that's where, uh, yeah, I guess it's talk to your broker, right? right? right. Make sure you're covered properly. Right. Look at the fine deep the fine print because a lot of a lot of these standalone policies are not replacement cost coverage so if it's a, just a name perils policy you don't get uh, sewer backup coverage so you said standalone policies well, like uh, people if- that uh, like these real estate uh, people that have or have investment properties as rentals don't get because um, insurance companies don't offer a standalone policy with replacement costs, right? So they only give you name perils coverage. And what is name perils? Name perils is just your basic like fire, wind and hail, um, uh, you know, like just the standard smoke damage. So like five or six specific yeah, things that specific happen perils. and then you're covered? Yeah, but you don't, they don't include sewer backup coverage. Like it, okay. It's, it's what about well? So a kitchen fire would be covered. Yeah, because that's, like, a fire. that's a fire. Yeah, like it's kind of your standard, you know, big ticket items, right? But what about you, a car running over the curb and yeah. into your house because it's on a corner? Is that name perils? I know you're laughing because that happened to me. That's right. Listeners, this happened, is a. Yeah. I might have to do a podcast. I don't even want to. <laughs> I'm still having scars from it. We actually had a property, no word of a lie, that got hit by a car three separate times right. within a year. Right. I wonder whether it was intentional and I wasn't driving the car, but anyways. Right. Um, yeah. So a standalone policy and name perils. I mean, are you speaking about just somebody walking into a brokerage and saying, I have just one rental? Is that a standalone policy? Yes. yes. Versus a commercial policy. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Because I think the average person with one or two rentals would just, that that's what they have, a standalone policy? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And they can't get replacement cost, or you're saying they need to not all insurance companies offer that. So it just depends. Sometimes it depends on the area of the city, the age of the property. Like there's a lot of factors that go into quoting a rental. So uh, whether they've been updated, things like that. So it uh, the age, you know, the age, things like that. There's a lot of things that go into it. So okay, you know, those are all questions that we're asking when we're trying to quote it. I mean, obviously. The ideal is getting replacement costs, broad form coverage. Right. But if we can only get name perils coverage, you know, the frill, what I call a frill is sewer backup. You know, sewer backup is not going to be covered. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the average person who has one or two rentals and has these policies, I mean, if the broker's not knowledgeable, they just walk into a corner, you know, broker outlet right. that's not familiar with the actual commercial right. rental insurance right. part of it. They, I guess they're being offered a standalone policy. Maybe 
it's going to be all perils and they're like, oh, well, this is cheaper, right. but they don't really know that exactly. it's only maybe half of the coverage of a real policy. Right. And a good broker will always ask for all the coverages. If you're told no, then yeah, that's unfortunate, but always ask for all the coverages. And when you say told no, it's like location by location, Yes, right? right? Exactly. So maybe you have aluminum wiring right. or, you know, yeah, the roof is too or, old, so they have <laughs> right. to, yeah. you know, take the roof off but the you, policy. Even, even if the roof is too old, it's just a roof exclusion. You could still okay. have replacement cost broad form coverage and the roof is excluded. But, you know, you tell the client that and then they can get it replaced, but um, you can still have all the other coverages. The idea is from the beginning of the submission, ask for everything. Right. Ask for the, everything in the, sorry, that's a bad pun. I don't even want to say it. Kitchen sink, right? right. Ask for everything in the kitchen <laughs> right. sink. Right. Um, I, I know that there's something called, like, I don't know what's a bylaw improvement or code improvement yes. coverage. Is is that pretty important? It, it is important. Um, and in most cases, when you, that's another thing that brokerages should be looking at is that. Most policies include bylaw coverages, but it's to different degrees. So sometimes it's included in the building value. Sometimes it's included in their frills as a, a you know percentage of the building, or it can be a, a certain value. It could be like 25,000, 50,000, 100,000, whatever uh, in their frills section. So it's important to be looking or depending on the building, like of age or or whatever, sometimes we have to ask for it as a separate, like additional limit. But I mean, define for us what code, like what are we talking about code improvement? So give me an example of, of how that would be important. Are you talking about bylaws in particular? Like for, like when, when because like I'm thinking of bylaws in particular. Okay. I just want to kind of define it in the layman's terms, what we're talking about here. I, I kind of have an idea, but I, I want to find out from your experience, what exactly is code or bylaw improvement coverage and why is it important? Okay. Well, bylaws comes to mind because we have so many older homes okay. in Winnipeg because, you know, historically that's what we have, sure. right? Um, so when a claim happens and, you know, they open up the walls and we see all, so many things that are not to code. Right. Right. Old wiring or right. asbestos and, or, insulation. You know, even or... the distance between, you know, two by fours or whatever, they go, oh, that's not to code. You know, so things have to be changed. I, I, I remember a claim happening not too long ago where, you know, the, the flooring was not, it, 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 it's ridiculous, right? So it can cost so much more money. Okay. On rebuilding or replacing than what a normal claim would happen, right? Okay. So those things are important when they're, you know, repairing, right? So um, insurance companies have to look at that. So all of a sudden, a ten thousand dollar claim escalates to twenty, right? So I mean, that's. Minor. Okay, hang on, hang on. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. so let, let's uh, let's back up. Okay. So I have a building. Okay. I've got twenty four inches on on spacing for my joists. Yeah. Obviously, it's supposed to be sixteen by code. Right. Insurance company comes in. It's replacement costs. We're like, okay, well, we can't have twenty four. It's an engineering, you know, yeah. uh, thing. We're gonna now put in sixteen, but now a twenty thousand dollar framing 
repair now becomes 30, are you saying if I don't have bylaw improvement coverage, that extra $10,000 is on me? No, no. I'm just saying that. So now it could be, it depends on whether, is your building value enough? Okay. Right. So has it, is it falling within your building limit? So it just like, I'm just saying that bylaws is something that you have to watch in your, like your broker should be checking within your um, policy limit. Like when you're talking to, I'm, I'm just thinking of an individual building, like some, sometimes we, we insure heritage buildings. Okay? okay. So quite often I'm looking at one in particular right now that we're just renew or we're marketing. So the insurance company is specifically putting a uh, $100,000 by law limit on that building. Okay. For that purpose. Right. Right. Because you don't know that if a claim happens, what's going to happen when you open up the walls. Right. Okay. So they have to be conscious of that. We have to be conscious of that. So we're telling the client that you have a $100,000 limit specific for bylaws. So I'm just thinking, I'm just saying that, um, like when I look at your policy, I look specifically for that. Right? right, because you have a lot of homes that you're insuring on your portfolio that are older, you right. know, built in the early 1900s. Yeah. So I have to look at that, right, and be conscious of that, and talk to the insurance company. Is this a concern for you? Okay, because right? you don't want to be in a place where they're going to deny coverage or the building value. I mean, it could be something as simple as going from a fuse panel to yeah. breakers, right? Exactly, right. Okay, so. And that's why they, you know, are, we have to be sure that we're insuring your buildings to the full replacement cost. Right. right. Like you said, ask for everything. I mean, for 60 bucks a year for rental income, I imagine all these little, you know, you call them frills mm -hmm. or don't add up to a lot when you consider right. that a single loss. I, I mean, it's catastrophic, right? It can be. Yes. Right. Okay, let's transition into something that um, I see a lot in our management company, okay. and I think is very misunderstood, and that's the concept of vacancy. Okay, because uh, that that's a hot button. It these is days, a hot right. Button. Yes. So, I mean, let's start with maybe a definition. How do insurance companies define vacant properties? Right. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a clear definition, but some people don't understand it. They just think because it's not occupied, right? Right. That that's a vacant. What vacancy to uh, insurance companies mean that there's no furniture in there. Okay. Okay. So that's a clearly they've moved out. Okay. Okay. So that's clearly vacant. Okay. All right. So the I mean the the appliances can still be there. Sure. Right? Well, but, it's it's common sense, right? right? You can tell if somebody's living there or not. Right. right. But obviously. What in your case, when they're rented dwellings, the appliances still belong to the owner, but the furniture has moved out because that belonged to the tenant. Right. So that now vacant. Okay. Okay. So that would be a clear definition of a vacancy. Okay. And is there a specific time period? I, I mean, we're getting into different policies now, but right. let's talk about the consequences of having a vacant property and why the insurance company cares. Okay. It well, obviously, it, there's more of a risk when it's vacant, right? Because, um, you know, vandalism. We we always, you know, some people oh, yeah. have nothing better <laughs> to do but to 
around and well, it all comes down to risk, right? right? It is it is a higher risk because um, you know there's um, heat can be turned, you know, not right now, but um, obviously the heat frozen can pipes, frozen pipes, right? Because there's no one there monitoring it, right? Okay, break-ins, right? The glass can get broken. So squatters, uh, yeah. Wiring being ripped up, right. copper being harvested for drugs. Yeah, right. A whole, a whole exactly. Bunch of things. So yeah. the, the risk is higher when okay. it's vacant, right? Of something happening to the property because no one is there watching it. Okay. Right? So that's why it's it's more of a risk for the insurance company. Okay. And let's talk about consequences. So I have a rented dwelling. It's vacant. I don't tell the insurance company. Somebody breaks in and they set fire to it, and there's a hundred thousand dollar loss. What is that insurance company? They just going to fix it? Is there any kind of issues now? Okay. Well, the the key thing is how long has it been vacant, right? Okay. So most policies, I would probably think, in most cases, I haven't seen a policy yet that has said less than thirty days. Like their their key their kind of their key thing is thirty days vacant. So. If it's more than 30 days, that's going to be the first thing question they're asking. How long has it been vacant? Okay. Right? So that that's what they want to know is how long has this been vacant? Right? And then what happens after that 30 days if something happened on day 40? Right. So then they're going to say, well, why weren't we advised? Okay. Okay. So um, the thing is that that's the, the important thing is people forget to tell. We like... We, as your broker, don't know that property is vacant. Sure, it's it's up to you as the owner to tell us that it's vacant. Okay, so that's the key, right? So once it once it's vacant, even like you, I I mean, like what are you what are you doing with that property? Are you are you selling it? Are you re renting it? The key is to let us know. Then it is our job to tell your insurance company this is what's happening with the property. Then the insurance company will decide, are we going to, because if it's insured for replacement costs, then it's their decision to make, do we switch it to now a name perils policy, Okay. right? Because it's a lesser coverage. There's still going to be covered for fire, um, you know, the, the, the basic coverage, but they are now aware that is vacant. Because there's more risk. Right. It's a okay. higher risk, but they are aware of it. That's the key. They are now aware of it and they're going to tell you, okay, did you tell that owner what they need to do to monitor that property? Because people don't, you know, we don't expect you to read all the fine print of your policy of what you need to do now that is vacant. Um, You need to, to keep track of it. You need to document when you've been there. Right. That's key too. Right. So that if something should happen, you say, well, I was just there yesterday or I was there, you know, two days ago and I wrote that down. But what I, what I did, like I went around, I cut the grass or I shoveled the snow or sure. whatever the case may be, that's documented. So you've done your due diligence of monitoring that property. Right. But if there's no documentation of when you were there or what you did, the insurance company as able to say, well, gee, you know. What's so they would happen? deny coverage. They can possibly deny that coverage. Now, outside of 40 days or even if, so let me give you a typical scenario. Okay. Uh, got an investor, their resident pulls a midnight run. Mm. It's July 1st. And now 21 days later, 
uh, well within that 30-day typical policy, but they haven't been there. And a squatter breaks in and sets fire to it. What is the insurance company? And and you have no documentation. Right. Right. So nobody's been there. It's established. They've decided we can see no one's been there for 21 days. And now there's a loss of forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. Is the okay. investor at risk of the insurance company not covering that loss? I mean, it's going to be a case-by-case situation. If they've just left on July 1, you were paid up until July 1, correct? Let's let's right. not even talk okay. about the rental, okay. right? I, I I guess because I've seen things happen with my own okay. clients in the management okay. company. Let's let's switch, okay? Let's say that it's after forty days or okay. something like that, right? No one's been there. It's well outside the vacancy um, time frame. Time frame okay. written into the policy, right? Will the insurance company maybe not cover that? I know it's case by case, but yeah. I have seen cases where it hasn't been covered. Okay. Because it's been vacant and my client is responsible for thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars of a rebuild due to a no heat and oh, water okay. leaking and pipes frozen. Right. I you know, I I can't say yes or no because it, it I guess it is a case by case situation, right? You know, there's different factors that are brought into it. So yeah, it just yeah, you're right. It just it just depends, right? Because I'm not, okay. I'm not an adjuster, and I'm not. No, for sure, but, and I don't want to put you on the yeah. spot. So let let's speak about hard numbers here. Uh, you you mentioned something about frequency of going mm-hmm. into a property, even within whatever time period, thirty days or whatnot. What are we talking about there? Are, right. Is there like fine print in a, in a policy is. that e- says every and see every insurance company is different, right? right. Some say every seventy two hours, some say once a week. Like I've, I've, you know, like you have to read each policy or each insurance company. They're all different. And that's the moment it becomes vacant. It's each policy when each, you know, it's vacant. Right. right? So because. Right. Of course. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like it's like, we've seen, um, we've seen claims where, well, when did you know it became like, that's always the key. When did you know it became vacant? Right. Okay. So. I mean, that's what the adjuster is going to ask, right? Well, when did when did your tenant vacate? And you're right. There are, in some cases, like, especially in rental homes, it's different from a commercial lease, like on a, you know, a commercial building, you tend to know when they're leaving. But on a, a vacant, on a home, as you say, sometimes they leave in the middle of the night. But um, if you know when a tenant's leaving, then you know when it's becoming vacant. Okay. So from an education point of view, I'm an investor. I know that I moved my tenant out June 30th. I had been trying to get somebody. I just couldn't, whatever. The market's not very good. So now I have a a vacant property. um, And the, my insurance specific policy says that somebody has to be checking that every 72 hours. Right. So that's from the time that I know it's vacant. I actually have to go in and document that I've been there, right. check the windows, make sure. Like, I don't think a lot of people know they need to do that. Okay. Right? right. So, but that's what you're saying. Like, that's kind of the take-home lesson here. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, you got to let your insurance company know. Then okay. they, that your broker should be telling you, okay, this is what you now need to be doing. Right. For that vacant property. Okay. Right? So, because they'll check your policy and say, okay, as of now, okay. this is what you need to be doing. Okay. So step one, you have a vacant property, tenant moves over, whatever. Step two, 
speak to your broker. They'll go through your policy because they know it better and make you recommendations. Okay, Garrett, you've got to have somebody go in for the next however long, right. you know, uh, every week and make sure that you're doing your checks and document. Maybe you take a photo, time and date stamp photo that you were there yeah. and then let us know when it's now occupied yeah, again. Exactly. And then communicate with us because if it now goes past whatever time period, we might have to change your policy yes. uh, with and maybe have you pay a little bit extra because it's still vacant. Yeah. Or maybe you're doing a renovation. I mean, we haven't even exactly. talked about that. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it, the, the, you know, the insurance company can say it's a misrepresentation. They'll fall okay. back on that wording to say you're misrepresenting your property. So and that, they'll deny the claim because of it. I've seen, wow. I've seen letters that say that. Denying the claim. So I, I think I just alluded to a, a very another typical situation. Landlords had uh, a tenant in place for three or four years. They finally move out. They're like, okay, now I'm going to change a couple windows, maybe put some new flooring into the bathroom and a tub surround and paint the place. It's okay. going to take me five weeks. That is now a different complete thing now because right. they're not trying to rent it out. It's now basically a construction site. Correct. Right. Even though most people think, oh, I'm just painting. What's the big deal? Right. right. So the insurance company would not like that situation at all, no. would they? Yeah. Because if, if something happened, like even one of the construction workers could do something to the property. Sure. Right? You've got yeah. so many different in that property right now. Right. And something happened, right. Set a fire and the adjuster comes in and goes, wait a minute, what's going on here? Right? Yeah. Oh, my plumber set fire to the bathroom when they were trying to, you know, yeah. they were uh, well, solder. Yeah. yeah, they were soldering a pipe and they set fire to it. Well, wait a minute, what's going on? Right. So you, yeah, you didn't and tell then, us that. You run the risk of that whole fire not being covered right? because the situation is different. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm taking notes and I hope the listeners are taking notes here. Um, okay, so... I'm just trying to, I'm going through my, my question list here because really it, you know, we're talking about a balance between cost and coverage, right? As a final point, how would you advise clients who prioritize finding the cheapest insurance over getting the more comprehensive coverage? Right. And I hear that a lot, actually. Um, you'd be surprised how often, because, and, 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 and rightfully so, because I, I know that people sometimes look at the bottom line. You know, because uh, buying a house or, you know, investing in a property is is a big ticket item. And I understand that. What I like to do for people is is I I like to do a chart. And because I'm a visual person and, and so I like to do a comparison for them. And I say, okay, well, what is it that we're comparing for you? Um, coverages, I like to do side-by-side -side coverages. I say, well, what what have you received a quote on? And I'll say, okay, because the biggest ticket item in um, a quote is obviously the property value. So I like to put that into a quote. I say, okay, this is what I'm telling you your house is worth. And what have you received from another broker? Right. So that will be the biggest part of the, the premium that we're comparing right so um and then i also like to do a dollar per square foot for them right. because sometimes um it could be a comparison to what they had last year as to what it's worth now because what they've received 
um, because we we are obligated to uh, use an insurance program for coming up with the value for a, a house or a building, whatever the case may be. And um, this is what we have to submit to insurance companies. So for replacement costs. So if I have to sleep at night, like that's what I always tell people, I, I want I need to sleep at night. So I'm giving you the best advice that I can do. So uh, when I do that comparison, I tell them what dollar per square foot is. And depending on what the construction of the, the property is, and, and obviously for houses, it's obviously frame. So in today's construction costs, that's got to be well over 200 a square foot. So if I'm seeing what they've got right now is is like around 150 or whatever, to replace a house nowadays, that's just not going to cut it for sure. So when I do the bottom line for them, and if they're missing rents right now, um, and we are obviously including rents and sewer backup, those are big ticket items, right? So it's not an apples to apples quote for them when we're doing the bottom line premium. Right. So and it's not about the cost yeah. necessarily. It's about what's inside the policy exactly. and making sure you know what you're being covered yeah. and not covered. So to say that, okay, this is my premium and this is what you're comparing it to. It, it's hard to do that without doing that chart in my eyes. So, and you know, ultimately it's the investor's um, choice in the end, but, I feel that to to show them that it's it's the best option to say okay now you know that's your choice right to say I've I've shown you what what well they have to make their own decision right. and make their own bed at the end of the day right. but uh, I know that I have a lot of clients who have in in the management company who have come to us with subpar policies obviously they have a conversation with you because you're mm -hmm. taking care of our group insurance policy. And I mean, it's not even close. They might be paying maybe a little bit more, but had there been a loss, right. they wouldn't have had rental coverage. They would have, you know, had this co-insurance kicking in. They would have been out of pocket right. tens of thousands of dollars. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, really when you say, you know, maybe $60 a year, was it really worth it? Right. right. So, you know, $50, $60 a year, I, I, I don't know. I just don't see it. Yeah, right? I shake my head. Right. So the, the takeaways uh, of this podcast episode, I would think, at least in my eyes, are know your policy. Make sure you have a professional that you're speaking with regularly mm -hmm. and communicating every time there's a change. And then that annual review process right. is so key every right. year. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, too, I I find... and. I'd like to mention too is some, sometimes some of these policies that people have are from, you know, insurance companies that are either online or from banks. Right. Um, I've heard about the bank ones. Yeah. Right. And um, I say, you know, not to toot my own horn, but who are you talking to in the event of a claim or a review? Or right. um, when you need them. Well, because essentially, if you're buying a policy off the internet, you're you're being your own broker. <laughs> right. And what do they say? Uh, I think it's a lawyer quote. A lawyer that represents themselves has a fool for a client. <laughs> okay. Right. I don't know if you've heard that one. <laughs> no. But it's very similar. Right. I mean, 
I don't pretend to know insurance. And if I'm just buying a policy off the internet, how am I supposed to know what I don't know? Right. Right. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Right. It is. Yeah. So, and and I get that sometimes when I answer the phone, they go, "Is this an actual person?" <laughs> right. And, yeah. and and that pleases me because uh, you know I'm there for them. So yeah. you know, and and especially for a claim because that that's when you need insurance, right? So that's what you're buying. Well, you know, it's funny. I I I always um advocate for having a power team if you're going to be a real estate investor mm-hmm. starting out or, you know, experienced and you know, your lawyer, your accountants, mortgage broker, maybe a property manager if you're having it professionally managed, but insurance. I mean, that those, you know, four or five people on your team is so key. Right. Yeah. I agree for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap up, but okay. um I always ask every guest this question, um, so you know this is coming. This is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success, and what does winning look like for you? Okay. Well, I think defining success is doing what I love, and I'm to helping people either in my profession or my personal life. Uh, it is setting goals that I am able to achieve and feel good about achieving them. And winning for me is knowing that I've done everything that I can to find the right solution for every situation that has been presented to me. Not only did I find the right solution, but I've made someone else happy as a result. And I've taken away something from that experience, and that has helped me to grow to be a better person. Nice. No, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, no, that, that is great. You're, uh, you've served us well. I think in the in pre-show, we were trying to calculate how long we've known each other because uh, for the audience, I have followed uh, Sandy uh, from brokerage to brokerage throughout her career just because of the service that you've given me. So um, thank you for that. Obviously, oh, we're continuing to work together. And thank you for uh, coming to the studio and um, doing pleasure. this with me. It's been great. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.